Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. From hiking to paddling to relaxing outside with a beverage, Northern California is a truly refreshing place to get away. Today, we're gathering travel insights from NorCal locals, starting with Ken Grossman, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company founder who helped shape craft beer history, shares a few of his favorite spots in and around Chico. There's this enormous amount of wildlife and open lands just very close to the city of Chico. And so it's quite a jewel. Then Chris Turkovich of Turkovich Family Wines tells us about the easygoing vibe in the town of Winters. It's located in Yolo County, a hidden gem nestled between Sacramento and the Napa Valley. Our downtown is real cute. We've got a food and winery scene and a few breweries, and it just feels like a, a different experience that you don't get anywhere else in the, in the area. And finally, Sam LaRobardiere of the award-winning Theory Coffee Roasters shares tips to enjoy Redding just as the locals do. That's all coming up on California Now. You can't tell the story of craft beer in California, or the world really, without including Ken Grossman. He's the founder of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, located about 90 minutes north of Sacramento in the town of Chico. He's here to talk with us about how it all got started, the experience at the brewery today, and everything he loves about the area. Welcome to California Now, Ken. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be on your show. So, you know, Sierra Nevada's reputation as a game changer is very well established. But for folks who aren't as familiar with your brand, how did you create it? Well, I started out as a hobbyist home brewer uh, in Southern California, where I grew up. I lived down the street from a, a very accomplished home brewer, mountaineer, rocket scientist. And so I grew up around him making all sorts of fermented beverages. And so I was inspired at a fairly young age to um, try my hand at brewing beer. So I started home brewing in my closet, uh, <laughs> sort of hiding it away from my mother. And uh, <laughs> I moved up to Chico when I was 17, when I graduated from high school. I had planned to uh, attend Chico State, continued to homebrew, and ended up opening a homebrew supply store in the mid-70s. And then a couple of years after I started the homebrew shop, I decided I wanted to be a, a small commercial brewer. Uh, so in 1978, started to write a business plan and um, build all the equipment myself to, to brew small batches of commercial beer. So you basically started, um, you know, it started as a hobby and then it grew into you actually building the equipment you needed to, uh, to open up your own brewery. Yeah, back in that era, there was really no suppliers building small brewing equipment, at least not affordable equipment for somebody like myself. Um, so you pretty much had to convert or um, fabricate dairy equipment and huh. other food processing equipment to, to brew beer in. And so uh, that was about the lowest point of breweries in America. Mm. Uh, there, there was roughly about 40 breweries left in existence, and that included the main brewers that we know today and many who have gone out of business uh, since that period, uh, the Paps and Schlitz and Stroh and uh, Coors and Anheuser-Busch and Miller, uh, those were the big breweries, but there was a group of what we referred to as legacy breweries, uh, the small family breweries primarily that had survived prohibition. And uh, around 1980, it was really the, the low point where they were struggling to survive and a handful of us, um, hobbyist home brewers decided that we could potentially compete on a small scale uh, and sell uh, unique handcrafted beers. And we were the first wave of craft brewers in America to, to start up after Prohibition. Huh. Um, we're the, the last one remaining in business today. The other hmm. five have since ceased to be in business. Amazing. And you've been credited actually with, with changing the taste buds of beer drinkers. Um, what exactly did you do differently? Well, we knew that uh, in order for us to survive at, at 10 barrels per brew, and, and our capacity when we first opened was, uh, was 10 barrels per batch, 12 batches a month, and a, a barrel of beer is 31 gallons. So 310 uh, gallons of beer, um, 12 times a month, that was all we really could produce. And so in order to survive at that kind of small volume, uh, we really needed to charge a premium price and to produce a product that uh, would be worthy of that. And so... We, as home brewers, like hops and uh, like flavorful beers, and we chose to feature a 
a variety of hop called the Cascade, which was really one of America's first aromatic hops or a hop that was uh, specifically grown for its nice aromatic qualities. Uh, it had pine and citrus character. And most of the breweries had Germanic brewmasters and were used to using Czechoslovakian or German or other imported hops uh, referred to uh, as noble aroma varieties. So the aromas were much um, more subdued and, and much lighter and a little bit of floral character, a little bit of spice, but really not a predominantly in-your-face uh, aromatic uh, character from those hops. And so the Cascade was really quite unique, and, and we featured it heavily in our pale ale uh, back in 1980. Mm-hmm. It sort of uh, created a, you know, a very flavorful, aromatic style of beer, um, and it was uh, the forerunner to what we now uh, have as our India Pale Ales, which are uh, the most popular segment of craft beers in America. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, your your choice to kind of go hoppier uh, with a hoppier flavor profile really was kind of prophetic. I mean, you either you either kind of predicted where the trend was going or you created the trend. Well, I think, you know, as home brewers, we'd love tops. And so, you know, for us, we were brewing styles of beer that we, we'd like to drink. But we, we actually, you know, consciously realized that we couldn't wallop people over the head with a, a, a extremely hoppier, extremely bitter beer to start. The American palate was used to drinking beers that had maybe 12 or 15 bitterness units at the most, and some as low as six or eight bitterness units. Uh, comparing that to you know an IPA today, which might have 50, 60, 70 bitterness units, you know, it's extremely uh, foreign to the, to the average beer drinker of that era. Um, so we came out with our pale ale, which was 38 bitterness units, and it still is today. And, and even at 38 bitterness units, it was considered very extreme by most drinkers. Uh, but people did get accustomed to character and flavor of hops and started to love and embrace it, just like you know, we as homebrewers did. And so that sort of started the whole trend to uh, very flavorful, aromatic styles of beers that we see today. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious that, you know, you entered this field because of your passion for it, not like you weren't going into it to make a buck necessarily. No, I, I uh, was hoping to make enough beer for myself and, and uh, friends and family. <laughs> and uh, I had a partner at the time and we had fairly modest um, goals. Our original business plan called for us to to brew the 1,500 barrels a year and hopefully be able to expand to 2,500 barrels uh, a year. And that was sort of our our target at the time. Uh, we brew that much in a day today. Huh. Amazing. So let's turn now to the experience, you know, when folks visit your brewery in Chico today. Um, I know you had to shut down two years ago for the pandemic, but things are reopening now, right? Yep. Uh, we're pretty much... Uh, not 100% back to where we were pre-pandemic, but uh, our restaurant's open. Uh, we're starting tours up again. We have guided tours throughout the brewery. Uh, the brewery and tasting rooms are open uh, seven days a week, and so people can come here. We've got a, a, a great restaurant with a beer garden, and so people can come and hang out and enjoy themselves at uh, one of several bars here at the brewery. Uh, so, Ken, t- tell us about the tours. Like, what, what kind of tours can people go on? Well, we have a range of tours. We have uh, a self-guided tour you can take any time, and we have a special tasting bar uh, that's in front of our gift shop. So you can go sit down there and talk to some some of our staff who can walk you through all the different beers we have available. And a lot of the beers we serve at both our restaurant and our tasting bar are not available uh, in packages anywhere. So there's special beers, one-off beers, beers that are in development for potential release, um, and then we have uh, a beer geek tour, so you can <laughs> actually go behind the scenes. It's called a beer geek tour. Um, and you can go and sort of look at the whole brewing process up close uh, in a small group and have the opportunity to ask lots of questions and to and look behind the scenes. Uh, it's great you have a restaurant there as well, so people can kind of, you know, sp- spend some time and have a meal and pair it with your beers. Yeah, we've got a, a great restaurant it's open seven days a week serving a, a wide range of foods and again, a, a special beer selection. So uh, many things you won't see on the shelf. Oh, interesting. You know, Ken, I'm curious, um, what's the vibe like in your facility? I imagine, you know, when you get a bunch of beer lovers together in a world-renowned destination like yours, it must be pretty lively. 
It can be quite lively. Certainly the Oktoberfest party can be quite lively. (laughs) You've got all the components to have a really good time. Right, right, right. You know, I'd also like to talk a little bit about the sustainability um, for a minute. I know that's something that you've worked uh, hard on and you've won awards for, uh, like being named Green Business of the Year by the EPA a few years ago. Um, What are some things you're proud to be doing in that department? Well, we've done a lot over the years, so uh, both on the uh, energy efficiency, energy production, um, water reduction and, and efficiency, starting out probably 15 years ago, started to uh, put in significant solar uh, power generation. We've got uh, more than 10,000 panels on uh, the brewery. Uh, you can see a few of them from the road, but uh, most of them are on top of all of our buildings. Uh, we started out about 15 years ago with fuel cells generating a, a megawatt of power here. Um, we've currently got two megawatts of cogeneration turbines uh, generating most of our electricity and recapturing the heat from that process. Uh, we've got our own on-site wastewater treatment process using an anaerobic digestion that allows us to generate methane as a byproduct, and that methane is burned in our boilers. We've got a very large composting system um, from Australia uh, called the Hot Rot. We've had it in place for about 15 years. It it takes all of our restaurant waste, um, both food prep and plate scraps, and uh, composts it. It can accept about a ton a day of green matter. And so we keep it uh, loaded all the time. And that uh, compost goes on our organic uh, farms. We've got uh, organic barley and hops and uh, a lot of produce we produce uh, at this brewery as well as our brewery in North Carolina. And that's fertilized in part by the, the compost from uh, our food waste. So we've done quite a bit over the years in, in I'll a whole say, bunch of different areas. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that is so impressive. Amazing. Um it's not just like slapping some solar panels on the roof. I mean, you're going all out, uh, which is which is incredible. Um, why, why is sustainability so important to you? Well, as a manufacturer that uses resources, and and you know we use water and uh, we use you know a lot of energy in various different uh, ways, and our our agricultural products consume uh, energy. Um, we thought it was important that we at least you know do our best to minimize our impact, considering. Uh, the fact that we are, uh, you know, a resource-focused industry. So we just tried to do as good of a job as we can. We generate in Chico, I think, close to 90% of our electricity currently. Um, and we've got Tesla battery banks to uh, to back up some of that power as well. So, Ken, you know, you could have uh, established your company or, you know, grown it when it got bigger any place in the world. Um, why did you stay in Chico? Well, as I mentioned, I, I had studied... Uh, chemistry and went to school here. And we actually uh, initially looked for different communities to open the brewery and ended up deciding to stay in Chico. It's got a great university uh, vibe to it. Um, that was one thing we we thought we wanted uh, just for our own sanity, as well as um, you know, having a good community to hopefully embrace our beer. And so in the end, we thought, you know, We've got a great spot. Let's just stay here and, and build our business uh, in the Chico community. And um, what else do you think I should know, you know, to get the most out of Chico and the surrounding area? Well, we've got uh, Bidwell Park uh, in downtown Chico, and it runs from the downtown area up into the foothills. It's one of the largest state parks um, in the country. And so it's a, it's quite a jewel. Uh, Big Chico Creek flows through the middle of it, which then ends up flowing into the university. So Chico State's a beautiful campus and um, the grounds and the downtown are quite unique. And as I mentioned, Upper Park sort of stretches up into the foothills and then attached to uh, Upper Bedwell Park is a a very large nature reserve that the university um, uh, operates and controls. And so there's this uh, enormous amount of of wildlife and open lands uh, just very close to the city of Chico. And then if you want a bit more adventuresome day, um, there's lots of mountain biking uh, trails and um, up through both Bidwell Park and the Upper Park reaches and um, and further up uh, into the mountains. So mountain biking is a, a big activity around here, as well as road biking. We've got a lot of great roads up into the foothills that, um, that I enjoy riding on myself. Mm-hmm. And then if you want more ambitious stay, you can drive up to Mount Lassen, um, which is uh, fairly close. It's uh, one of the less visited national parks, and it's just about a 
hour and 15, hour and a half drive from Chico. Um, and there's all sorts of really interesting sites to see up there, boiling mud pits. Uh, it's a volcanic area. It's at the sort of the base of the Cascade Range um, and the end of the Sierra uh, Range. So it's where two mountain ranges sort of start and end. And it's got a lot of hiking trails as well as the uh, Pacific Coast Trail uh, runs through the, the park and south and north from there as well. So Chico is a really great place to as a, either a base camp uh, on your way to Mount Lassen or as a, you know, a stop on your way. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, lots of other activities. We've got the Sacramento River, which is uh, nearby and a lot of people uh, go salmon fishing. We've got uh, Lake Orville, um, not too far away as well. Um, so there are a lot of uh, great outdoor activities that people can have, depending on what you want to do. You can pretty much find it in the area. Mm-hmm, golf, mm-hmm. golf courses and um, all sorts of other activities as well. <laughs> well, you know, Ken, this has really been amazing. But before we let you go, I have to ask, you know, California's a big state. If you were heading out on a road trip, where would you go? I love going to the ocean and to the coast. Um, so I head over to Fort Bragg, Mendocino fairly regularly. Uh, wine country is not too far away. We've got friends there. So um, sometimes head on over that way and go up through the some of the wine growing valleys are spectacular. There's, uh, you know, lots of mountain activities. So I, I split my time between visiting the ocean and heading up into the hills. We're not too far away from Tahoe and uh, those communities up in the Sierras. So that's also a great place to go visit for a day. Well, Ken, you know, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you so much for coming on to uh, California Now. My pleasure. Ken Grossman is the founder of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, online at sierranevada.com. We'll be back with more great spots around Northern California in just a moment. This is California Now. If you're enjoying the California Now podcast, you really should check out our archives. I've gathered insider tips and insights from locals like Chef Krista Ludke, the Food Network regular based in Guerneville, and Nikiko Masamoto, who works on her family's peach farm near Fresno. Podcasting is my best friend on the tractor. <laughs> Incidentally, that's the same tractor she rode on her wedding day. My best friend's decorated, imagine like a big orange tractor with purple streamers everywhere. <laughs> the best way to find these episodes and many more is to subscribe. You can access our whole back catalog and get new episodes delivered straight to you as soon as they go live. Just go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the California Now podcast. Thanks. Some California wine regions like Napa Valley and Sonoma County are household names. Others, in particular neighboring Yolo County, might lack that name recognition, but my next guest says it still offers an incredible variety of experiences and tastes. Winemaker and third-generation farmer Chris Turkovich is here to tell us where to go and what to do in and around the Yolo County town of Winters. Welcome to California Now, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. You know, I think we are uh, practically neighbors. I'm just up the road in Woodland. Um, it's a nice area of the state that a lot of people just don't know about. Yeah, see, you experience beautiful Yolo County on a regular basis. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, let's let's orient listeners who haven't heard of Yolo County before where it is and what's great about it. We are definitely kind of uh, under the radar in terms of California, but we're right in the middle of things. We are 35, 40 minutes from Sacramento and uh, about an hour and a half from San Francisco. And what do you love about Yolo County? The agriculture is is what our family has been here for, and and you know my big passion. Uh, but it's a great diverse county, a lot of ag, a lot of outdoor stuff to do, great food, and pretty relaxed. Even though we're close to San Francisco and Sacramento, it's a it's still a farming. Uh, Winters is a farming town, which is where we're located, and Yolo County as a whole is is still a farming community. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, can you describe for us the the town of Winters specifically? So Winters is kind of the, in my opinion, the gem of, of Yellow County. It's a small, small town right at the, uh, up against the hills, foothills of, uh, that head over into Napa. Old 
town, 1800s, uh, our downtown is real cute. We've got a small two, two to four block downtown, depending which way you drive through. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a farming town at heart with a, a kind of a thriving downtown with a big food scene, food and winery scene and a few breweries. Um, so it's kind of this hidden gem in, in Yellow County that uh, it feels old. Um, it is old. Some of the buildings are very old, um, and it just feels like a, a different experience that you don't get anywhere else in the in the area. Yeah, I kind of feel like when you when you drive into Winters, there you definitely get this small town feel, this vibe that it's just like uh, just a very relaxing feel. It is. It was a uh, there was a big uproar in our town about ten years ago when we started. We got our first stoplight, and that was the, uh, <laughs> that was a big deal for our community. So that gives you an idea of the, the type of town we are. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so tell us a little bit about your business, Turkovich Family Wines. Our family has been farming in, in the Winters area. I'm a third generation, and uh, we do a lot of crops, uh, but not wine until I got into it um, about 15 years ago. And uh, so we started a small winery. My wife and I run, run that. She's actually our head winemaker. I kind of play second fiddle to that do the vineyard and the business and mm-hmm. kind of do a little bit of winemaking with her when she needs help. So uh, how would you describe the wines that you produce? So we do about 20 different wines um, out of our winery. We're real small. so a lot of small lot, small batch winemaking. Um, and we specialize in what are called the Rhone and Spanish varieties. So Syrah, Grenache, and Morvedra, big, big wines for us, as well as Petit Syrah, Viognier, Roussan, and uh, Albarino and Tempranillo being a couple couple other ones. So we often get people coming into our tasting room, looking at our tasting list and, and only recognize some of the, the California classics like Cabernet and Chardonnay. But we actually specialize in, in some of the lesser known varieties. Yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I have to confess, full disclosure, I have actually been to your uh, tasting room and I've uh, purchased some of your wines. I'm, I'm a fan of um, GSM, I think is one of your uh, wines, which is a blend. Um, and The Boss is another one. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, you picked two good ones. Those are, are two of our best. Um, so GSM, for, for people to say, would be a Grenache Syrah Morvedra, which is a, a common um, kind of French blend of those three varieties, Grenache Syrah and Morvedra. Uh, and then the Boss is, uh, that's our most popular wine. Uh, the Boss is a, a red blend. Uh, it's mostly Petit Syrah. Uh, that makes up between 60 and 80% of the blend every year. And then uh, we, we blend about seven other varieties into that wine um but those are those are two good ones so you, you chose chose wisely <laughs> oh thanks uh, let's talk about your wine tasting setup i i didn't realize you actually have two setups i only knew the one that's downtown but you also have another one so talk, talk to us about you know what kind of experience we can have uh, coming to taste some wines yeah so when we started our business we opened our tasting room in downtown winters so we're we're just right on the main block there next to a lot of the restaurants uh, which was was a great spot for us and still is. And we're open seven days a week there for tasting. Uh, no reservations are needed. Um, tastings range from 10 to $15, um, which is another kind of plus of both winners and Yellow County. Our, our tasting fees are, are still pretty reasonable at most of the wineries in, in the county. So we're, yeah, we have a heavy presence downtown winners. And then we just recently, actually during COVID, opened up our tasting facility out at the winery where we actually make the wine. And so that is more of an outdoor uh, patio setting. We have a couple shipping containers that we've retrofitted into bars and an office and a restroom. And uh, so that's a fun spot. It's a little bit quieter, uh, but that one is by reservation because it's not staffed all the time. Right. So I imagine like when you're doing the private tasting at the vineyard, you probably have some really beautiful views of the vineyard. And, uh, you know, can you also maybe take a tour of the operation? Absolutely. We do tours at that facility. The downtown one does, doesn't have wine production there. So if you want to see a, uh, see the facility, see the winemaking process, uh, we do that at our, it's called our Buckeye facility. We can do tours. It's, we have a small vineyard out front along with uh, our farm and orchard. We have a big prune orchard, views of the hills. It's a nice spot. Yeah, that's really great. All right, so let's zoom out a little bit and talk about what else folks should do in the area. Let's say I'm using the town of Winters as a base camp. Uh, where should I stay? Yeah, right in Winters, downtown Winters. is a great spot to start. We have uh, a new Hotel Winters, which is a, a more of a boutique hotel, uh, and that's going to be a great place to start. It's got a, a restaurant in it, uh, Carboni's Italian, uh, great restaurant. 
It's a nice courtyard outside, rooftop uh, bar, which is real popular for watching the sunsets because uh, that looks out over those hills um, outside of Winters. And um, great rooms, and it's uh, literally two doors next to uh, down from our tasting room. That's great. So, um, and what are some nearby restaurants you like to recommend? On the the main uh, town square, we've got real famous restaurants. Uh, people may have heard of or seen them on TV a few times on a few shows. Uh, we've got the Buckhorn Steakhouse, which is kind of the flagship restaurant in the downtown area, uh-huh. and uh, the Pewter Creek Cafe. It's been featured on a, a couple of places. It's just a great kind of hometown diner. And then we have a nice tapas bar that I often send people to that's across the street from our tasting room. Spanish tapas, small plates. That one's called Facel, right? Facel, correct. Um, and then Preserve, which is a really nice establishment on the corner. Restaurant, bar, um, specialized in kind of farm to fork and um, unique cocktails, seasonal cocktails. And those are some some great places to start. Yeah, yeah, those are really great. Those are my four favorite places in winters, I must yeah. say. Um, <laughs> Convenient. So yeah, so let's do a little bit of a, a deep dive on them. So you said uh, Puda Creek Cafe. I mean, that's like, I guess, how would you describe it? It's almost like kind of like a family-run diner, but the food is a couple notches above diner food, right? Yeah, very approachable. Uh, but food is amazing. Uh, open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they're famous for the breakfast is that's what kind of got them famous. But the dinner, they do a lot of uh, pizzas, uh, wood oven pizzas now in the evenings. Uh, we often pair with them when we have special events or um, they often do some pop-up dinners and um, great menu changes seasonally. And I know they used to have a, a wood burning pizza oven, like right outside on the corner there, which made the yep. whole neighborhood just smell so good. <laughs> Are they still doing that? Yep. That's there. They've got another one, I believe installed in the kitchen now to, to keep up when that gets busy. Cause that started with just one or two at a time and, um, they can get busy on a Friday night. Uh, but that's still sitting there on the corner. That's, uh, and to tie it all together, that, that, that pizza oven, the base of that pizza oven came from our farm when, when they were getting ready to build it. Um, it kind of shows the, the farming n- nature of our, our town. The, uh, the, the farm recycled the, the base for the pizza oven for the restaurant in downtown. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's great. Preserve is a really cool place because they have all kinds of really interesting, I mean, in addition to the food, they have some really interesting cocktails that they put together. Absolutely. And those change, they're constantly coming out with new, fresh stuff, fresh ingredients, um, they do a lot of their own pickling and, uh, syrups and, and just all kinds of things that are going into those cocktails. So they, they're very experimental and it's always interesting to see what they have, have on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. And for, you know, Facel, I was really surprised to find that there was a Spanish tapas place in winters, California. Um, but it was really good and they have a really cool space too. You can sit outside it's just, uh, they have a really, I mean, I mean, talk to me about your experiences at Facel. A really fun place to go with friends. It's easy. Um, the ordering style being that tapas, you can just kind of keep ordering plates. And so you're not very hungry, not a problem. You decide halfway through you're more hungry. You can just order more plates or friends sit down. You meet somebody new from the next table over. You can just keep ordering. And so that's, it's a fun style. The food's fantastic. And it's kind of a little you know, kind of out of the way. So a lot of people pass, don't see it their first, first time into town. Um, so that's often when we point out, it's kind of an undiscovered little gem across the street from us there. Yeah. I have to say like when you go there, even if you're not from winters, you kind of feel like you're a local all of a sudden, because you do feel like a lot of people know each other and there's just a lot of kind of joviality. There's like a lot of friendliness. It's like, you know, you, you could get invited over to a table. It happens regularly. So yeah, no, I mean, that's often where we meet people. Yeah, it's, it, it is very social as well as, as a great place to eat. Absolutely. All right. So let's say, um, you know, I want to go out and take like a hike in the area. Uh, what would you recommend? We're a great little outdoor town. We have a, a great asset just next to us here in, in Lake Berryessa. Uh, Lake Berryessa is just a couple minutes outside of town, um, up, up the hill from us. And it's a, a large lake, all kinds of water activities. So whether it's fishing, water skiing, jet skis, beach areas, um, you, we get warm during the summer and it's it's a nice spot. And that's only about you know, 10, 15 minutes away from, from winters. And there's a great hike that um, is right at the edge of the lake called Cold Canyon that is uh, real popular. So winter sits right at the edge of the valley. 
hills are right behind us. That hike takes you up for you look one direction, you can look on the lake and you look the other direction. You can actually see downtown Sacramento hmm. and it's just a great view from where the, the valley, Sacramento Valley meets the, the coastal hills and kind of wine country. And so it's uh you'll get your exercise. It's, it's pretty steep, but it gets you to a great view up top. Is there a part of that hike where people who aren't, you know, avid hikers could just, you know, take the stretch that's a little easier? Absolutely. Actually, Pewter Creek is what flows from Lake Berryessa and actually follows the, the canyon down and actually goes right through downtown Winters. Um, so there's a number of little kind of hiking trails or walking trails along the creek that don't quite get you as much elevation. Um, we actually have a great one right downtown that leaves from, from downtown Winters. That's a paved uh, walking path. So for people that maybe have some accessibility issues, um, we've got anywhere from climb up the mountain to uh, walk along the, the, the river um, on a pretty smooth path. So there's a couple different options depending on people's ambitions or, uh, um, or physical abilities. That's great. You know, and I've, I've seen um, online, I've seen these sunflower tours on Instagram. What can, what can you tell me about those? So uh, for about a month a year, Yellow County is a, a sunflower county. That's a, that's a big one for us. This county grows a lot of sunflower. Uh, Sacramento Valley it has a lot of sunflowers during the, the June. It spills over a little bit into July. Um, so we grow, we being the county, um, ourselves, our family included, we, we grow these large fields of sunflower. And it's, it's very impressive when it's blooming, even for somebody like us who see it daily. Um, right. When you see a thousand acres of sunflower blooming all at once, it's, it's a sight to be seen. Right. So are there actual tours that people can go on? I know that there have been, there's been some um, issues where, you know, people want to get that, that shot for their Instagram or for their Facebook or whatever, and they kind of maybe venture a little too far into the fields and farmers get a little, you know, upset about it. Are there actual tours that people can take or are, is there a certain kind of way that people can go about getting that shot and not, you know, disturbing the sunflowers? Yeah, there definitely kind of is a, a good way to do it and a, a more dangerous way to do it uh, or a more disrespectful way as well. Um, so we have a couple of driving tours where we we have got kind of maps to kind of show people which which roads to go down to kind of take a look at them and kind of do these drive-by tours. And then there are a few uh, locations, our, our, our winery being one of them, where uh, because we also grow sunflowers, we have access to fields, our own fields. And so we have an area set up where people can, in our case, taste some wine and um, get up, up close and personal and get that selfie shot of the, the sunflowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dangerous spots are the busy roads, um, the freeways, people pulling off. So that's what we're, as a, a region, trying to discourage people from doing that. I know we, Turco Channel Wines, does do some sunflower tours, um, and there's a couple other throughout the, the county. Um, and that's a, it's a great time. And that, that June is the, the peak bloom. You don't want to miss that one. Now, before we wrap up, uh, we really also have to note that, you know, winters is a really great starting point or maybe end point on a wine country road trip down Highway 128. So how would you recommend folks take advantage of that? Yeah, 128. It's uh, it's out here. It's called Wines to Waves. Um, <laughs> it is the greatest road trip for anybody who is a wine connoisseur, as simply as, as I could say there. Um, 128 starts in winters, actually, and it goes 144 miles to the Pacific Ocean, and it takes you through Napa, Sonoma, and Mendocino counties. And so you go from small town winters uh, with our Spanish and Rhone varieties to Napa, through Sonoma, up to Pinot country and the Redwoods on the Mendocino coast. And it, it is an absolute phenomenal road trip to take. It's uh, You can do day trips out of it from winters um, or maybe just hit half of it going into Napa. It takes a couple days if you're going to do it right and, and take your time and enjoy it. Uh, but it is a, a great road trip that people should put on their bucket list. Yeah. I mean, how would you describe it? I mean, I guess I know the 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 stretch from winters, say, to Napa and Sonoma, you kind of are going up a mountain. So you have some winding roads going through some really pretty countryside. And then, you know, you get to the other side and then you're in, you know, what we all consider wine country, California wine country, uh, the Napa and Sonoma side of it. But then further than that, what what's the stretch like? Yeah, well, I guess it's it, to be fair or to paint the picture for people, it's it's State Highway 128, but it is not a highway. It's a two-lane road, um, and it is a two-lane road pretty the entire way. And it, yeah, from winters, you wind up and around Lake Berryessa and then drop down into Napa Valley, and then you go through the, you know, the small – it's up the valley from – 
kind of in the northern part of Napa Valley, um, which is some of the less developed area and you know, some of the smaller wineries along the way there. Um, it takes you up and into Sonoma. Cloverdale is actually the largest community, you know, about 12,000 people. So the, the entire experience is <laughs> it's pretty pretty two-lane road, pretty small. Uh, it's very enjoyable. It's, it's kind of the the Napa and the wine country trip that uh, people remember from 20 or 30, 40, 50 years ago in Napa. Right. I mean, like you can get to Napa on the freeway a lot faster, but doing it on 128 is just such a, you know, it's such a much more memorable and, uh, you know, rich experience. It, it truly is. And it actually, to be honest, on the logistical side of things, it's easier and it's better access and quicker access to, to fly into Sacramento if people are coming, even if they're going to Napa. Sacramento for us in winters is only about 35 minutes away, the, the airport, international airport there. And yeah, it, you can be landing off of Sacramento and at your first winery in about 20 minutes um, and then head over into Napa. And it's, it, it's a, a much more relaxing way to enter than coming from the south through the freeway access there. Absolutely. You know, well, Chris, this is all sounding so fantastic and I'll definitely have to come visit soon. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks for having me. Chris Turkovich is a farmer and winemaker in Winters, California. For more on Turkovich Family Wines, check out turkovichwines.com. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. From hiking and biking to paddling around mountain lakes, the city of Redding is a gateway to a multitude of exciting outdoor activities throughout Northern California. Most of them make more sense after a bit of caffeine, which happens to be my next guest's specialty. Sam LaRabardiere owns the award-winning Theory Coffee Roasters and is here to give a local's perspective on all the fun to be had in and around Redding. Welcome to California Now, Sam. Thank you for having me. So let's start by telling people about Theory Coffee Roasters. What is it? Uh, Theory Coffee Roasters is a specialty coffee roastery and cafe. So our coffee roaster, we roast right here in-house. You know, the top 1% to 5% of all coffees in the world. So something that is of the highest quality. And we also want your customer service experience to be friendly and kind and warm. We're kind of like a... You know, specialty coffee meets your hometown coffee shop, if you will. Mm, sounds really nice. Um, and I mentioned that you've won some awards over the years. Uh, what are some of Theory's accolades? The first one that I that I get excited about talking about is the Golden Bean Award. We were, we won Best Espresso out of the Golden Bean Roasting Competition, which is the largest roasting competition in North America. So, you know. It's probably a little overstated, but at one point I was saying we had the best espresso in North America. So that was a, a fun little a fun little mm-hmm. brag to have. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then uh, Food and Wine, the publication, came through and they were writing up a piece on the 100 best cafes in the U.S. And unbeknownst to us, they showed up and did an assessment of our, our cafe and then ended up writing us into that article as one of the top 100 cafes in the U.S., Wow. So, I mean, so what, what's it like for you to get that kind of news? Like when you find out you've won that award or you get this amazing write-up that you're one of the top cafes in the country. I mean, what, what's that like for you? Well, it was interesting. The first one, the, the Golden Bean, which was our first big win, there was a little bit of like disbelief, like, oh, that's probably a fluke or something, you know? <laughs> and then when you start, when you get the second award, then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is something that we we're actually doing something right. And it gave us a lot of actual confidence in what we were doing and, you know, uh, uh, renewed our drive to continue to pursue better quality coffee and, you know, continue to just do things better every single day. So that, that was really the overall takeaway from, from winning those two awards. Right, right, right. So, so let's zoom out and talk about why people come to Reading. Um, what makes it such a spectacular base camp for outdoor adventure? I think that's a great term, uh, base camp. And, and this area is really rich with natural resources. Uh, you have uh, Shasta Lake. You have Whiskey Town Lake. These are both really beautiful mountain lakes uh, that, you know, you can go boating on, you can swim in, there's tons of hiking. You know, if you go out to whiskey town, you can swim, you can boat, you can hike. There's, uh, multiple waterfalls 
that you can hike to. So there's a lot of those like what I call payoff destinations where mm-hmm. when you hike to the end, there's some sort of payoff. It's not just a, it's not a, just a nice view. There's like a beautiful waterfall or, you know, some cliff jumping to do or that sort of thing. Also, gosh, tons of mountain biking. I have a lot of friends that fly fish. This is one of the premier fly fishing spots in you know, North America. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of uh, natural resources to offer. Are there any places in particular that you like to send people to rent a kayak or a canoe or if you're going out on your own? You hit up uh, Headwaters Adventure Company. They basically have everything you need. If you want to go paddleboard, you know, what's, what's nice, uh, my wife and I have done this um, for our anniversary. We got a paddleboard and we paddled out to one of the islands out of Whiskey Town. So there's a bunch of little islands out there and you can just paddle out there. We had a nice romantic uh, picnic and then paddled back. Uh, so you can do that if you wanted to do something like that. Headwaters is a great place to, to get all your gear from. And I know they do floats down the Sacramento River too. So that's fun. A little bit more leisurely, like if you get a, uh-huh. a group of people, you know, get some adult beverages, some food, you can <laughs> float down the river and just have a, a really fun time. Oh, that sounds great. And, I, you know, I know you mentioned waterfalls and they're, they're, they're such a major attraction in this part of California. Are there any particular hikes that you recommend to enjoy waterfalls? The best hikes that, that I enjoy are out at Whiskey Town. You have Whiskey Town Falls and then you have... Brandy Creek Falls. So those are the two uh, two waterfall hikes that you can do at Whiskey Town, and they have varying degrees of difficulty. So I, if I remember right, Brandy Creek is a little bit more difficult than Whiskey Town Falls. So those are good. Those are nice. Mossbray Falls, which is up in Dunsmere, is stunning. It's a um, it's a waterfall that's basically coming out of the side of, of a mountain. And the mountain or the mountain face, the rock face is covered with moss. And Mm. so the water doesn't like pour out. It just kind of like trickles out over the top of the moss and it creates these, it looks like diamonds. Um, Like shimmering, like a shimmering wall of green or something. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Shimmering wall of green with these just brilliant little bursts of diamond light that comes off the, the falls. It's pretty magical. That sounds, that sounds great. I mean, how, so to give people perspective, like how far is Whiskey Town from Redding? When you get outside of Redding, you've got about a 10 minute drive to Whiskey Town there. And there's a bunch of little spots along the way. You'll see cars parked and you can just walk down. There's beachfront. So you can actually, you know, spend your whole day out there on the beach, just hanging out, lounging. And then Shasta Lake is the same. It's a, you know, it's about 15 minutes away. Shasta Lake's a little bit more recreational, uh, speedboats and that sort of thing, where Whiskey Town's a little bit more laid back with uh, more pontoon boats, party boats, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's to talk about a, a great base camp is that you can basically go out, have your fun in nature, and then come back into town and, you know, go to a restaurant or, you know, stay at a hotel or something like that exactly right and and you can i mean from here bernie falls is 45 minutes uh you have mount shasta that's an hour away and those are two huge attractions but yeah you can literally you know post up in Reading, where you know you have access to nicer hotels and you know some better food and that sort of thing and then just create uh, you know unending list of adventures to do. <laughs> you know, it's hard to pull up pictures of Reading without seeing the Sundial Bridge. Um, would, <laughs> <Right>. you de- <laughs> would you describe it for folks who've never seen it or never been there? The Sundial Bridge is a really cool piece of architecture that attracts quite a, a lot of people, honestly. It's, our, it's probably Reading's, one of Reading's biggest attractions. And if you can picture a frosted glass bridge over a major river built into that bridge is this big huge sundial arm that's suspended with you know two inch steel cables you walk over the bridge and you you know either way you look you're just looking up or down the sacramento river uh you can see mount shasta uh from the sundial bridge pretty magical there's usually you know some fishermen out there or fisherwomen 
fisher people uh, out <laughs> on the river. And so it just creates this really beautiful picturesque scene. Uh, there's also attached to the sundial bridge, you have um, an arboretum. So you can go uh, walk, walk through just this really beautiful uh, park that's just planted with all sorts of unique uh, plants. And, and there's placards to tell you what, what everything is. So just, it's yeah. like a place to explore. No, it's really great. I mean, just like the, the bridge itself is, is, is so cool. It's kind of like this modern giant sundial that serves as a, a bridge as well. And we should say it's a pedestrian and, and bicycling bridge, right? There are no cars on it or anything. Right. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You can, yeah. yeah, it's all pedestrian. So it's just a great place to go for a walk. And at night they have lights on the bridge. So the lights change colors and it's just a really cool experience mm-hmm. overall right. whether it's day or night you're just going to get this really neat experience of walking ac- across a glass bridge overlooking the river oh that's cool mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know you mentioned biking can 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 i rent a mountain bike in reading and then bring it out to a trail or how does that work yes you can you can uh sports ltd uh, i know is where a lot of people uh, go for mountain bike or rentals there's also the adventure hub um which is pretty close to us. So either of those places you could go, you could rent a, you could rent a mountain bike if you want to go mountain biking, but you can also rent an electric bike if you wanted to cruise up and down the Sacramento river trail. So we have, yeah, we have a trail that runs all the way along the Sacramento river, all the way up to the Shasta dam, which is another huge attraction. So you can go all the way up to the Shasta dam, come all the way back down the other side of the trail. And, you know, you can do that on an electric bike or a, a regular bike if you'd like. That's great. And those electric bikes can uh, can be a lot of fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to exhaust yourself so much. You can kind of maybe go a little further than you normally would on a regular bike. Exactly. We also have a, a buddy of mine started a uh, brought scooters to Reading, which was really cool. So you can ride those up and down the river trail, too, if you want. And that's uh, Howell is the name of his scooter company. And they'll do uh, group drops as well. So if you wanted to get a group together, he'll drop the scooters right off to you and you can, you know, take your ride up and down the river trail as well. That's great. All right. So, so let's say I've been out enjoying the fresh air around Reading and now I'm ready for a chill day to relax and recover. Where should I start, start my day? If you want to start your, start with a chill day, um, I would say, you know, come here to theory. Uh, we'll make you a really delicious coffee. We also uh, have a French bakery. Uh, it's called Eden bakery. So we bake all of our own, you know, scratch French pastries uh, so that's where I would start. Um, what kind of pastries do you make there? Well, the one that the one that's buzzing for us right now, we have two that are buzzing for us. Uh, the, we have a lemon curd cruffin. So uh, hmm. if you think of a, 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 a muffin that's made from croissant dough mm. with a lemon curd in the center of it. Ooh. Yeah, it's really delicious. And the other one we have is a uh, it's a caprese croissant. So it's a, a flat croissant. And then we have fresh mozzarella uh, with fresh tomatoes, basil, pesto, and then a little shaved Parmesan cheese on the top. That's amazing. Uh, So what about Sunday brunch? Is that a thing there too? Yeah, Sunday brunch is a thing. So, you know, if I go out for brunch, I usually like to go to uh, Moonstone Bistro. Moonstone Bistro, um, Shay and Tanya are the owners of Moonstone Bistro. And they've been doing a really, really good job in Reading, have a great reputation. Um, they, they do a lot of seasonal menu, uh, stuff. So that, that's really fun. So you don't always know exactly what you're going to get when you show up. But one thing you will know is that it's going to be outstanding. So Mm -hmm. that's where I would go if I were going for, for a Sunday brunch. Okay. That sounds good. And, uh, where else do you like to go around town for food? There are a couple, couple places that come to mind. We eat a lot of tacos around here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, uh, there's a shop that opened not too long ago called Canelo's and it's a California comfort food, but best way I could describe it is like this Mexican American fusion restaurant and chef Juan, uh, he makes everything from scratch. He, if you like tacos al pastor, that's mm-hmm. the spot. Okay. Some of the best tacos al pastor I've ever had homemade tortillas uh, the flavor is just off the charts and then he makes his own salsas and they are absolutely incredible. 
So I would go to Canelo's if you want tacos. And then if you, View 202 is, you know, pretty, a, a big staple restaurant here in our town. And it, it's one of the only restaurants that you could go to that has a really beautiful view of the Sacramento River. So you can sit out on their patio overlooking the Sacramento River and just have a really nice bite to eat. They make great cocktails as well. So I would go there. That sounds great. Yeah. And then if you're near Turtle Bay Mosaic Restaurant, which is part of the Sheraton, uh, that one is actually uh, quite nice as well. And then as, as far as accommodations go, like where would you recommend I stay? We have a, a nice uh, revitalized hotel across from us called uh, the Americana. Americana is a really nice uh, hotel. It's centrally located in downtown. So kind of in the, the soul of the city, with, you know, the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for, you know, a little bit of a nicer stay, I'd stay at the Sheraton and that's right next to Turtle Bay. So you literally can, you know, Turtle Bay is Turtle Bay Exploration Park is where the Sundial Bridge is. So you can walk out of your hotel, go take a walk down the Sundial Bridge and back to your hotel. You know, it's just perfectly located for uh, for a weekend here in Reading. Well, that sounds great. Uh, very convenient. <laughs> so what's one more thing you think people might not realize about Reading, but it's really worth appreciating? So we've got a population of about 100,000 people, but it functions a lot like a small town. So if you're looking for that sort of getaway, like, you know, I I can imagine, well, we moved here from a a pretty big city. And when I came here, my stress levels dropped a thousand percent. So it's just that kind of place where you can let down in a friendly, safe environment and just have a really peaceful experience. That sounds like a perfect uh, kind of getaway from the hustle and bustle of a lot of people's lives. Yes, it is. (laughs) Well, Sam, this has really been great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Sam LaRabardiere is founder of Theory Coffee Roasters online at theorycoffee.com. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope to see you in the Golden State soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're looking for more travel ideas and inspiration, follow Visit California on TikTok. You'll meet insiders who share their favorite local spots and learn about all sorts of cool attractions like the 680-foot-tall Eureka Dunes in Death Valley and the Seven Bridges Hike in San Diego. Check it out. The TikTok handle is at Visit California. (laughs) 